along in Central Park. Everyone's out today. The daisies and dogwoods are all in bloom. Oh, what a glorious day for picnics and frisbees and roller skaters, friends and lovers and lonely sunbathers. Everyone's out in merry Manhattan in January. I brought the iced tea. Did you bring the bug spray? The flies are the size of your head. Next to the palm tree, did you see the gators looking happy and well fed? Everyone's out in merry Manhattan in January. Scientists have it all wrong, and so who cares? It's winter here, and I have my halter top on. I have my halter top on. Everyone's out and merry, Manhattan and Jan. You weary. Welcome to Great Speeches and Interviews on Axis Sacramento and The Voice. I'm Steve Lerman. Today's program is Carbon Shock. Mark Shapiro reviews the financial front lines of climate change. From the agricultural fields of California to the Amazon rainforest. From the export powerhouses of China to the bizarre world of carbon traders. Mark tells the story of how profoundly climate change is shifting the economic ground beneath our feet. and welcome to today's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. I am Chisa Kores, the chair of the club's Science and Technology Member-Led Forum, and your co-chair for today. We also welcome our listening audience, and we invite everyone to visit us online at commonwealthclub.org. And now it is my pleasure to introduce our distinguished speaker, Mark Shapiro. Mark Shapiro has been exploring the intersection between the environment, economics, and international political power in books, magazine articles, and on television for three decades. Mark was formerly senior correspondent at the Center for Investigative Reporting. His work is published in Harper's, The Atlantic, Yale 360, The Nation, The LA Times, and elsewhere. He has been reporter correspondent for the PBS news magazine show Frontline, World and Now, with Bill Moyers. Mark teaches at the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism and at the Montreux Institute for, Institute for International Studies. His latest book, Carbon Shock, a tale of risk and calculus on the front lines of the disruptive global economy, published by Chelsea Green, 
is the product of five years of intensive reporting and writing from the hot spots where the cost of climate change are being experienced and fought over. Mark's previous book, Include exposed the toxic chemistry of everyday products and what's at stake for American power, published through Chelsea Green, and circle of poison, pesticides, and people in a hungry world with David Weir. Mark has won numerous awards, including a Society of Professional Journalists Sigma Delta Chi, a DuPont Society of Environmental Journalists Reporting Award, and a Kurt Schoch Award for International Reporting. Mark's presentation today is based on his latest book, Carbon Shock, a tale of risk and calculus on the front lines of the disrupted global economy. Please join me in welcoming Mark Shapiro. Thank you. I always love the sound of this hammer when I hear it on the radio. <laughs> um, it's just great to be here. Thank you all for coming out here a couple nights before Thanksgiving. Um, I also have many times been in your position watching somebody speak up here, so it's a particular honor to me to be on this end of the, of the room. Um, and uh, so tonight, let's talk a little bit about um, climate change. And that's obviously the book that I've written. But what I want to do is I want to start uh, in talking about this whole issue uh, with a story of a rock. This rock I'm holding in my hand right now is a, a small rock. I describe it in my book as fist-sized rock. This rock, um, you could throw it. It would probably break a window. I'm not suggesting. I'm not going to do that. Um, this uh, rock actually comes from a very special place to me, and um, because this rock is covered in oil. And it was a very, it was a stormy night in 2002, in November of 2002, right along the uh, west coast of Spain, along an area called the Costa del Muerte, which is called the Coast of Death, where a lot of Spanish galleons sank to the bottom of the ocean, very rocky seas, the North Atlantic Ocean. And one evening in uh, November 2002, an oil tanker passed through that coast. And that tanker was called the Prestige. And in the middle of a rocky storm where waves were hitting about 20, 30 feet high waves, massive turbulent storm, the Prestige broke in half. A single old, uh, uh, oil tanker broke in half right up about three miles off the coast of Spain. And from its belly came 79 million gallons of oil. I have this rock because I collected it from a beach right along where the Prestige sank in Galicia. And the reason I have this rock is because it's reminded me for 10 years, for actually 12 years since that time, of what it means, what our connection to fossil fuels, number one, means, and two, what this rock tells us about climate change. Embodied in this rock is the story of climate change. So let me tell you about what happened after the Prestige broke in two on this incredible stormy night. Basically, big chunks of oil spread across hundreds and hundreds of miles of the Galician coast. Anybody who's been to Spain knows that the Galician coast is rugged, it's rough, it's beautiful, it's not where anybody goes in a bikini, it's actually rough, North Atlantic, beautiful, rugged coast. And um, I went there several months after the accident for a story I did for uh, Frontline World, the PBS show Frontline World, 
And I went onto those beaches, and I stood out on these rocky precipices out in the middle of nowhere in the North Atlantic, a place you would never (laughs) normally go, and I'm not recommending you go. Harsh, windy, freezing, wet, and standing out on these rocks, I smelled the smell of a gasoline station, hundreds of miles from the closest actual gasoline station. It was sickening. And I looked up to the north. It was nothing but boulders headed towards uh, the, 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 um, the northern part of Spain. I looked to the south, heading towards Portugal and Africa, more boulders covered in um, oil, very much like the ore, exactly the same oil that's actually on this rock. The, um, the oil spill on the Prestige at that time unleashed a devastation across the marine economy in uh, Spain. The uh, marine economy was devastated. Thousands of fishermen lost their livelihood for that season and the subsequent season. A massive depression hit that part of, that part of Spain. Uh, I interviewed a, um, the mayor of the local town that was closest to the spill called Cocupillon, a lovely little fishing village, um, who uh, two years after, uh, one, one, one year uh, after, uh, 911 called this an act of terror on the on the on the shores of uh, Spain, and so I wrote a story about this, and I actually did a television piece about this. There's somebody here in the audience who I worked with on that, David Richer, <laughs> uh, and uh, and I took with me a rock. That, a rock. I took this from the from the from the beaches from that beach because I never wanted to forget what it felt like to actually be standing there in the middle of an oil spill. And now let me tell you, I didn't know at the time that I would be writing a book about climate change. This was 12 years ago. <laughs> and um, But I've held on to this rock because I wanted to remember what environmental destruction is all about. It's been like a talisman for me. And as I've gone through the years, in the last 12 years, it's been sitting right above my desk, right on a little shelf above my desk, this little ugly rock, although I've kind of gotten sort of affectionate towards it, even though it's covered with the prestigious oil. And um, it struck me that basically this rock is representative of the of the challenge that we face with climate change. Number one, you have uh, emissions that come from everywhere and they come from nowhere, right? CO2 comes from everywhere, all, the, all over Earth, which is actually nowhere when it comes to actually where they come from. They come from every single place on Earth. Um, I would clarify that by saying that actually we do know where two-thirds of those emissions come from, which is 90 companies, which are listed, and actually nine, nine, nine zero, ten times nine, Uh, companies are responsible for two-thirds of those emissions. We can get to that a little later. to 
Back to Arvin Schock and Mark Shapiro. Uh, but uh, the basic idea that the emissions come from everywhere and they come from nowhere at the same time, very much like the oil and that prestige. Where did the oil come from? The oil was owned by a Russian oligarch. Uh, the ship was owned by a Greek shipping family. The flag that it was flying was the flag of the Bahamas. And the legal registration for that ship was in that hot spot of regulation and dynamism called Liberia, which is, by the way, where two-thirds of the oil tankers 
on the ocean today are registered in uh, Monrovia, Liberia. And I can give you the address, 80 Broad Street, if any of you are inclined on a little foray to uh, Monrovia, Liberia. You'll find two-thirds of the paperwork for all the oil tankers on the ocean today registered there. Why? Because it shields them from liability, which is the second reason why this rock is a symbol of climate change. Twelve years after the accident, when the uh, oil tanker, when the Prestige sank, 12 years after that accident, there has been no accountability for the damage that that ship and the oil it was carrying caused to the coast of Spain. It cost at least five or six billion euros to actually clean the, be- quote, clean the beaches. Of course, they never get cleaned, but to send out guys with power hoses and hazmat suits to go uh, try to blitz the, um, uh, the oil off the rocks um, and to compensate the fishermen for an entire season of lost livelihood and many, many, many countless other uh, damages. Uh, and I'll never forget actually seeing up and down every- the beaches right near this tank Corcubian where volunteers had come from all over Europe um, sitting at these rocks with little spoons trying desperately to get this oil off the rocks. Um, so 12 years after that accident, there's been no accountability whatsoever because all these mechanisms, you got the Greek, the Greek ship owners, you got the oil from Russia, you got the flag from the Bahamas, you got the legal reg- registration in Liberia. None of those have been able to be held accountable because of these complex series of trap doors, just like climate change. Who is responsible? Everyone and no one. And I will nuance that a little bit later on because obviously it's not no one. We broadly speaking know who's, uh, know who's responsible. We'll get to that in a minute. But basically there's been no accountability for years for the externalized costs caused by climate change, for the, for the costs of fossil fuels. And the third reason uh, that this is a representative of climate change is because the oil in that case spread. And if you look at satellite photos of that time, which I did, the oil from that, from that spill spread like a spider through the ocean of the, Atlant- the North Atlantic, and it ultimately made it all its way a thousand miles north all the way up to Spain. Surfers in Fran- uh, to France. Surfers in France were finding big clogs of oil on their surfboards. Um, just like climate change, which is indiscriminate in its contamination of our Earth. So... There's another reason, which is uh, why this is um, an image of climate change, this rock, because the oil that was carried in the the belly of the prestige was destined for Singapore. All right. So Singapore uses oil just like we use oil. Everybody uses oil. And here's a characteristic of that oil. The uh, nobody in Singapore was ever going to pay the actual cost for that oil, just like we in America and everywhere else on Earth don't pay the actual cost of the oil that was in the belly of that of that ship if it had made it to Singapore. And of course, needless to say, the only difference between the oil that ended up on the beaches of Spain and the oil that I put in my car every day, my little like 12-year-old sob, is, uh, is that my oil didn't take a little detour through the beaches of Spain. That's basically the only difference. And um, so this notion of what the costs are of fossil fuels, what the costs are of carbon, is fundamental to understanding what the situation that we face with climate change, because um, the cost ultimately for the for the destruction that happened on the beaches of Spain was paid. It wasn't like it wasn't paid. Guess what? It was paid, of course, by the citizens of Spain, and in that case, the citizens of the European Union. It only took several years, by the way, for the United States to have a very similar and even more destructive spill, uh, if uh, courtesy of British Petroleum in the Gulf of Mexico, which, of course, devastated the uh, Gulf Coast and devastated stated the, the uh, New Orleans and the coast of Louisiana on an even more monumental scale than the prestige.
prestige. Um, and I, of course, watched that spill from afar. I didn't go to Louisiana, but I could see this kind of similar kind of phantom nightmare kind of unfolding with the same phenomenon um, unfolding. And in many ways, there are a lot of cross currents between those two stories. So the question when it comes to climate change are... Climate change is a tale of externalized costs. That's really what the fundamental challenge is to the world, is to, conti- is to face these externalized costs. The people of Spain and the, um, and the people of the European Union essentially subsidized the owners, who's happened to be a Russian oligarch, and his oil, because they paid for the damages from that oil. And now, um, if you look at climate change in a way as um, letting loose an oil spill every day into the atmosphere of the planet. That's essentially what we're doing. So if you want to understand what climate change is, just imagine this rock going up every single day, another rock like this, billions of these kind of rocks going up every single day into the atmosphere of the planet. And that is essentially what um, climate change. Climate change is the ultimate externalized cost. It's the ultimate way in which the cheap costs we're paying for energy, actually specifically for uh, fossil fuels, ends up being borne by us. So part of what I do in the book, in Carbon Shock, is go on a journey to different parts of the world where these costs are being experienced to actually begin to understand the nature of these externalized costs. What are they? And actually, you know, the funny thing is, you don't have to go far to find them. Actually, you just have to open your eyes and find them. They're not, it's not like some big mystery out there. It's like the biggest uh, secret, uh, the biggest secret hidden in plain sight that there's ever been. And, um, but I'll give you a couple of uh, small examples, and of course I write about these somewhat uh, more in in, in you know, more in the book, but um, what is the what do you suspect is the primary government program in the United States that is actually now seriously threatened by the phenomenon of climate change? Did anybody possibly guess what the most threatened government program is due to climate change? Well, okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I see a unison of responses. That's a great answer, actually. That's pretty good, and actually, it might even trump the answer I was going to say. Because actually the military, of course, sees the huge national security uh, implications of, uh, of climate change, both the threat literally to the installations of the uh, United States military, which are huge. If you're, if you're the U.S. Navy, you are definitely thinking about climate change. If you're the U.S. Army, you're thinking about what, uh, cl- how climate change affects your supply uh, lines and, um, uh, and has de- actually declared formally that, that climate change doesn't pose a national security threat to the United States of America. Uh, as has the UK ministry, by the way, as is essentially the ministry of the defense of every developed country. Yeah.
greatest fear that I have regarding um, the outcome uh, for America of these disclosures is that nothing will change. regarding um, the outcome uh, for America of these disclosures is that nothing will change. Um, people will see in the media uh, all of these disclosures. They'll know the lengths that the, the government is going to grant themselves powers unilaterally um, to create greater control over American society and global society. But they, they won't be willing to take the risks necessarily to stand up and fight to change things, to force their representatives to actually take a stand in their interests. Uh, and the months ahead... The, the... And now, messages from Access Sacramento. 